So we'll be continuing on through our final charge series, and Pastor Ron did a great job giving you a summary of what we've covered. And in essence, Jesus is telling us and giving us point by point by point reasons why we do not have to be troubled, why we could have peace. Why we could trust him in essence. So no matter what the disciples were going through, they're going, they're about to go through some serious, serious trials and hardships in a moment. But perhaps we're going through trials of our own. Our Lord knows and our Lord cares for us. Today we're gonna the topic and the theme is about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit could be a little bit mysterious for some of us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit could be very confusing. We're going to touch on certain key elements of, our whole, of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be an exhaustive sermon, but um, I'm going to have some notes. And if you could take notes you could, with scripture on it so you could study more on your own. You could maybe use your phones and take a picture of the slides so you could go home and uh, study this on your own. The Holy Spirit has been given many different names. You know, the Holy Spirit used to be called uh, in the King James Version, the original King James Version, the Holy Ghost. Maybe some of us remember that. So sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit or the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God. Today you're going to hear the Spirit called a helper or the comforter or the Spirit of truth. So that's where we're at. John 14 and uh, 15 to 31, I'll read, and um, just really zeroing on a few verses, but we'll just read the 15 to 31 to give us a good background, and this is very personal. John, uh, the Apostle John is very personal. He had a very personal relationship with, with Jesus, and this is a very personal uh, part of the scriptures, and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about in a moment. So please rise. We'll be out of John 14, and I'll read from 15 through 31. I'll be reading of the NASB version. And this is God's word. Jesus starts off saying, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world does not, cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you or remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, huge statement, because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our, our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Jesus makes it very clear about that. Love leads to obedience. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, who is the Helper? The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives uh, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. Belief is the key here. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, that's Satan, and he has nothing in me. Finishing up here. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commands me. Get up, let us go from here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. Help us to understand your word. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, supernaturally allow your word to be preached and supernaturally allow your words to be ministered to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What is godly peace versus worldly peace? All right, godly, briefly, godly peace is described as shalom. In other words, that's a Hebrew concept that means it's all good. It is all good. No matter what is going on, I'm content. I'm at peace. It's all good. And it's not based on circumstance. Things could be, be rough. Like for the disciples, things are about to get really rough in a few hours. But Jesus says you could be at peace. Do not be troubled. It's not based on circumstances. What's peace of the world? Peace of the world, what are the means of acquiring it? First of all, it's through strife, through wars, through competing, through battling. This is how people are able to have peace. Here's an illustration. Over the last 3,500 years, there's been only 300 years of peace on earth. 3,500 years, only 300 years of peace. Over the last 5,500 years, there's been more than 14,000 wars. 14,000 wars, netting over 4 billion casualties. It's expensive. Our world is not at peace, and, and, and our world's answer to get peace is to strife, to fighting, to battling with one another. And what is the quality of the, world, of the peace of the world like? It's circumstantial. What does that mean? It's completely dictated on your circumstances. You have peace if all your cards are lined up and things are working out right. For example, if your peace is based on your health, I mean, that could change overnight. You could have just a routine checkup and all of a sudden, whoa, what is this? I never expected this. Car accident, you go jogging, something happens. I mean, anything could happen. Things change on a dime here. Very circumstantial. If your peace is based on business, it all depends on how the business is going on. And really, quite frankly, a lot of it's out of your control. Trends and worldly trends and all kinds of things dictate this to us perhaps your peace is on a human leader you know and, and so election by election is your your peace is based upon right this is what we're talking about godly peace versus worldly peace and jesus is saying i'm here to give you my peace we don't have to worry about these things because all this other stuff is out of your control can you still be at peace when things are very difficult 
And I have a feeling things are challenging for many of us right now. A lot, maybe I hit upon some of these things or something very unique going on in your life. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And this is a message to the disciples. And right here, he's going to give us a huge reason why. Another sliver, another shade, another facet, another piece of the puzzle, why we do not have to be terrazzled or troubled. All right, point number one. Let's just get to it here. Point number one, verse 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And what is the Spirit's role? He's called the helper here. And, and in verse 26, the helper is identified as the Holy Spirit. Parakletos is, is the original language, Greek. Paraclete, you might, may have heard that word paraclete. That, in essence, means one called alongside to help. Someone to come alongside, to run parallel with you, to help you out in your life as a Christian. A helper, a comforter, an advocate, an encourager, an exhorter. This is the role of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And in verse 15 and in verse 21 and verse 23, Jesus in essence says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Right? And if you're like me, there's, I do have lapses. You probably feel discouraged at times. Like, man, I don't know, Jesus. Like, I, I, I believe I love you, but I don't keep your commandments all the time. And nor do I do it perfectly. And, but Jesus is making a rather uh, serious statement. In, in essence, he's testing genuine salvation or genuine faith. He says, you genuine love me, you obey me. Obey me not perfectly, but your pattern of life will show obedience. Your desire of your heart will be to obey me. This is a very serious, serious statement. Because at the end, don't we want to know that we're in Christ? Don't we want to have that confidence? Yes, I am in Christ. Sometimes our flesh, when we don't obey could create doubts or concerns within us. So how does the Holy Spirit help us to love Christ and to obey him? Do I genuinely love Christ? You know, those are the things that you should be asking yourself. Here's a, here's a uh, slide here. And, and chronic, chronically, some of the Holy Spirit's role. You know, if you want to take a note, and I, I'm not going to be able to be very exhaustive on these things, but... But um, I want to talk about this. The Holy Spirit, John 3, 5 through 6, talks about is the one who gives us rebirth. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not his children. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not believe in the message of the gospel. Without the Holy Spirit, we do not love Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that causes us to be reborn spiritually. Regeneration, renewal by the Spirit is what's talked about in Titus chapter 3. And so knowing this, it's not even our own striving, right? Like we talked about how, how, how man tries to gain peace by warring. You know, it's not even that striving. It's the work of the Spirit done in us that produces love for Christ. Here's the illustration. I was at the library this week, and, um, and I was just studying, and, and somebody sits next to me. It always happens this way. I don't know why. And he goes, Goes, he, he looked at my Bible and goes, he just started shaking his head. He goes, you know what this is? He goes, I don't know what it is. It looks too big and complicated. And I just, it's just the Bible. And so we start talking and, you know, he, he gives me some of his commentary about organized religion and Christianity. And I could tell right away he's, he wasn't into it. I said, all right, that's okay. And so I listened to him for about five minutes. And I said, you know what, sir, um, I think Brian was his name. I said, can I, 
just give you like 30 seconds of what this whole book is about. Can I just, just give me 30 seconds. I listened to you for five minutes. I just want 30 seconds. 30 seconds, right? You kind of do stuff like that, right? At the end of the day, you want to get what you want out of it. You know, I'm, we're shrewd about these sort of things, you know? There is an agenda. Don't get me wrong. There is an agenda. I like to be nice, but I like to be hospitable, but there is an agenda. I want to get what I want out of it. And so he looked at me and goes, no, absolutely not. So I just said, hey, thanks, man. And I just went right back to my studies. I had a complete peace about it. The Spirit of God has to open his heart, soften his heart to hear the word anyway. I could have just said, no, man, you're going to listen to me, right? We're going to strive. I'm going to get what I want. No, no, no. I could have done that, perhaps, caused a ruckus in that poor little public small library, too. Poor librarian. (laughs) What's going on over there? That guy's holding a Bible. What's going on over there? But um, so I just, I was at peace with that. So you know what? And perhaps that's kind of how your, your interactions may be with certain family members or friends or coworkers. You get it. There's kind of a stone wall. And this is a stranger, and I may or may not see him ever again. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe just that little interaction kind of softens his heart, you know? But just know that even how, no matter how articulate or how passionate or how clear I can make it to him, if his heart is closed off to the truth, he will never understand it anyway. So anyway, that's just a little side thing there. But the Holy Spirit also, once you're in Christ, he ensures your eternal salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about we were sealed. The Holy Spirit was given as a pledge for of our inheritance, our eternal inheritance. So once the Holy Spirit wakes you up and boom, has you reborn, he also secures your salvation. He's like a down payment for eternal heaven. It's a wrap once you're in Christ. See, the Spirit's work is massive in our lives. Massive. Second role that the Holy Spirit has is our, in our sanctification. What does sanctification mean? That means becoming more like Christ. This is a lifelong journey. As long as we're on earth, this is a lifelong journey. We're ever steadily, hopefully, growing to become more like our Lord. All right? Certain sin struggles aren't as hard as they used to be. Um, Certain patterns, certain tendencies that were uh, hurtful, painful, it still may happen here and there, but you know, you've seen some victory in your life. You start, you start to demonstrate, as Galatians 5 talks about, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit of God produces these qualities in you, in essence, becoming like Jesus. That describes Jesus. So the, 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 there's a power that comes over us, and that's Power of God through the Holy Spirit. You see, if we want to love Christ, you can't will it to happen. It's a miracle. Greater miracle than having a blind man see in in the physical world. Basically, God gives us spiritual sight to see and to see how, as Pastor Ron talked about, how Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. You love him so much. You treasure him so much that you want to obey him. You want to please him. Right? You know those relationships that you have that are so special. You want to do things to make them happy and bless them. That's, that's a, it's a special thing. But Jesus is at the top. 
So if you truly say the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit does His work in your heart, you will love Christ. It'll be a fruit of what the Lord does in your life. And if you're truly saved, you'll desire to be sanctified and, and learn to obey Him more and more faithfully. In essence, coming under the authority of the Word of God, the Scriptures. So how can we obey His commandments if we don't even know what the Scriptures are saying, right? That's why in verse 17, the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Truth. It says even a second time in verse 26, it talks about how He teaches us and brings things to remembrance. So this next slide is talking about how sanctification is connected to knowing the truth. Truth leads to genuine worship. As Pastor David preached a couple uh, Sundays ago about the more you know the truth, the more you know who God is. The more you know who God is, the more you love him, the more you treasure him, the more you know how to obey him. Otherwise, it's up to your own culture, up to your own opinion, up to just your own understanding. That could be a dangerous thing, right? Verse 17, it says, The spirit of truth and... The spirit of truth, what does he do? Inspiration of the Bible. Inspiration of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16, one of my favorite Bible verses. I just want to read that for all of us to hear. 2 Timothy 3, 16, we know this. <clears throat> it says this, all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, every single word, word is inspired or God breathed, the spirit of God, by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, sufficient for all matters of spiritual life. The Bible. And the Bible is, is, was authored by the Holy Spirit and he used men to use that, for, uh, in, in 2 Peter 1.21, it says, Men moved by the Spirit wrote the words of God. So the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is the author of Scripture, inspires the Bible. And in verse 26 of John 14, going back to John 14, it says that, But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He's talking to the the, the apostles, the disciples, and bring to you your remembrance all that is said to you so that the disciples, John, could accurately record what God wants him to write. Right? There's some things that he didn't write in there. As Pastor David, I got to sit in his hermeneutics class, and I said, why do certain authors put in some things and leave out some things? That's because the direction of the Holy Spirit. Point number two about the spirit of truth. Illumination of the Bible. 1 John 2.27 says the anointing of the Holy Spirit teaches us what we need to know. Just like that man, I could have taught him a lot from Scripture, but if he doesn't have the spirit of God enlightening his eyes, he'd just be blind. He, He won't get it. He may get facts. He may get information, some head knowledge, but he won't actually get Christ in the Scriptures. You need the Holy Spirit to illuminate your minds and your hearts so you understand what the Scripture is saying. Otherwise, it's a bunch of words and a bunch of facts. It's a historical book in itself. That's it. Nothing supernatural about it for you. That's why I love this adult uh, education, you know, and, and praying and hoping that this just takes wildfire in our church. Where we are students of the scripture so that we know truth. The more you know truth, the more you're going to be a genuine worshiper of Christ. If you don't know the truth, 
There's no way you could grow. How can the spirit of truth bring truth to mind and apply truth to mind if it's not there? And we have this incredible treasure right here. I would encourage all of us to be part of this at the 9 o'clock. I'm, I'm a student. I'm enrolled in Pastor David's class. I want to get better at learning to interpret the scriptures. Okay, so I want to be faithful in my own devotional life. And also as a pastor, preaching the word, but it's just in my own devotion. So in essence, this work of the Spirit saves us and gives us a love for Christ, which leads us to obedience. So when verse 15, because if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding in you. I'm sorry, verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. So there it is where Jesus says, talk, touches upon us about four times in, in this little section here. Now I've got a question for us here. I was asking this to my family and, and some friends earlier. When you think of the Holy Spirit, what comes to mind? I mean, recently, you know, I, I watched the last episode of Star Wars. I don't know who, who's done that, but we've heard of this concept, you know, called the Force, right? And and in Mandalorian, you see Baby Yoda using it and all that stuff. But anyway, I don't want to get off track too much. The Force. Do you see the Holy Spirit kind of like the Force? It's kind of this universal force, just like almost like spiritual electricity that works through you. Is that kind of how you view the Holy Spirit? Is he some kind of impersonal power source or, or, or kind of some kind of emanation from God, but not... Anything else, just some kind of energy force. This is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. They teach that the Holy Spirit is some kind of emanation from God. So my question to us before we move to the next point, is the Holy Spirit an it or a him? Right? Meaning, is, is the Holy Spirit an it? Just like you plug into the wall, I get electricity. Just, just I plug into God, I get electri his electricity. Or is, it, is the Holy Spirit a him? Point number two, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Verse 16 and 17 and 24 of John 14 says this. The Holy Spirit's called a he. The Holy Spirit's called a him, a him, a he. A he. he. He has these pronouns, these personal masculine pronouns. The Holy Spirit is a person. And here's this slide, this next slide, the Holy Spirit's personhood. What are his characteristics that make him? That why we would believe that he's a person. The scripture says that he has emotions. Ephesians 4, it says that you could grieve the Holy Spirit. You could make him sad. You could actually make the Holy Spirit sad. But how you respond and how you act, how you think. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 that he has an intellect. He knows the thoughts of God. He could think. Romans 8, 27 says that the Holy Spirit has a mind. This is the mind of the Spirit, just like a person. Acts 16, 6 through 7 tells about a story about how Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of land in, in the early church and fronted to the apostles, all right, this is how much we sold it for. And they kind of kept back some of it. Doesn't mean you got to give everything, but just don't act like Act like this way, you know what I mean? And, and, and Peter says, you haven't, you lied to God. In essence, you lied to the Spirit, you lied to God. And, 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 um, 
These are the things that were, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And in Acts also in 16, it demonstrates the Spirit has a will. The Spirit did not allow Paul to go to certain places because the Spirit wanted him to minister the gospel head and west. He didn't allow him to go north or, or east. He wanted to go west, and the gospel spread. So the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. The Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit is a friend of yours if you're a Christian. Very personal. He cares about you and me. He cares about you and me. The Holy Spirit is, but is not just another person, but point number three, the Holy Spirit is also God, the Bible says. Verse 16, there's, there's all these nuanced words that Jesus uses here. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. This is a big deal now, this word another Another, just two basic words for another in the original language in the Greek in the New Testament. Heteros, which basically means another of a different kind, right? Hetero, we use that word hetero, right? Heteros is, that, is not that word that was used. Alos is the word that was used here, okay? I don't mean to confuse you with these words, but it's important because this means another of the same kind. So who is this? Who is the first helper? Jesus is the first helper. Jesus, the God-man, is the first helper. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you something similar, the same as me, as the helper. Same as Jesus in nature, same as Jesus in essence, same in Jesus' character. The Holy Spirit's God. He is the third member of the Trinity. You're dealing with God right now as the Holy Spirit lives in you, brothers and sisters. This next slide, if you want to take a picture, I'm going to go fairly quickly. talks about the Holy Spirit's divinity. I want you guys to kind of be able to look at this on your own. That's why these Bible verses, I just want you to look at it at home. Is what Pastor Rocky preaching legit or not? He's eternal, the Bible says. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. David describes him as being omnipresent. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. These are qualities that only God has. He's omnipotent. That means he has all the power. He created the universe. In Genesis 1, 2, he's part of that. And in Acts 5, the Bible explicitly claims that the Spirit is God. This is it. This is it here. Now, I kind of wanted to get through those things. I want you guys to study this on your own. There's something special that happens between you and the Holy Spirit when you're in the Word by yourself. I want you to take those notes. I want you to look at your camera and then take maybe one of those slides one morning. Just look up the Scriptures and see like, oh, yes, I understand and know God more. So that might have felt kind of more instructional, but this next point here is what really grips my heart here. All that is, is, far, is, is incredible truth, but this part is where it gets really personal and very relational for all Christians. Point number four, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Now, let me just read to you some of these verses here, verse 16. You're going to see a lot of Trinitarian language here. We sang about the Trinity. You're going to see a lot of 
Trinity in, in these verses here. This is some of the most profound scriptures talking about that Trinitarian relationship. Who knows what that Trinitarian eternal relationship has been like, but we get a glimpse, we get a clue here what this is like in these few verses here. Let me read from verse 16. All members of the Trinity are represented here in verse 16. Okay? I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Let me read part of verse 17 here. But you know him because he abides or remains with you and will be in you. See, the Holy Spirit fastens us with the Trinity. That's been an exclusive relationship. Angels aren't part of this Trinitarian relationship. Different from the church. Angels are incredible creations and powerful beings. But we get to be part of this Trinitarian relationship, love relationship, eternal relationship. Let's look at verse 16 here. Let's look at the parties involved. There's four parties involved here in verse 16. I, that's Jesus praying or talking, and he's the one that's going to ask the Father. That's self-explanatory, the Father. So there's Jesus, the Son, second member of the Trinity, will ask the Father, the first member of the Trinity, Father God, and he, to talk about the Father, will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And guess who's also included on this, uh, in this host of people? This is what's going to blow your mind. And he will be with you forever. We're involved in this Trinitarian relationship. We're actually part of this conversation now. You is in the plural. He's speaking to the disciples, but on a, on a grander level, he's speaking to every single Christian that will ever come. We're talking about heaven here, brothers and sisters. Heaven is being with God. The Spirit of God links us with the Trinity forever. This is heaven. Verse 20, jump with down to me with verse 20. In that day when Jesus is resurrected, you will know, talking about the disciples, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me. And I in you. See that language? I'm in the Father, you're in me, I'm in you. We're connected. There's some kind of oneness. Let's look at verse 21 here, the second part. And he who loves me, the disciples or the Christians that love Christ, will be loved by my Father. Now that, we're in this oneness. We're just not just acquaintances, but we're loved by the Father. What? And I will love him. And loved by Jesus and will disclose myself to him. Trinitarian love relationship. We get to share in that somehow. Look at verse 23 here. Second part again. My father will love him. That's talking about you and me, Christians, brothers and sisters. And we, look at that word, we, communal, father and son, we will come to him, and the Spirit of God is already in us. So they got the, got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit coming to him, Christian, and make our, there it is, communal group, our abode, our home, with him. God's living with us. We're connected to God. Why can't you have peace no matter what's happening on earth? We're connected to the Trinity. 
And it's not just some impersonal like thing we're standing in the corner by ourselves. This is like, hey, I love you. You're loved by the Father. You're loved by the Son. And not only that, I'm in you. You're in me. We're kind of connected in that way. Let me give you a story here. Uh, um, give you a chance to breathe a little bit. It's a little story. Come up for air, right? Um, when I went to Israel, uh, I think 2018, the highlight of the, any Israeli trip or uh, trip to the, home, uh, to the Holy Land is to see the Temple Mount, right, and, uh, in Jerusalem. So our trip started off in Galilee, and then we made our way south, and eventually we got to see the Temple Mount. So here's a picture of the Temple Mount, and you see, the, you see where the Temple once stood. This is from the Mount of Olives. We're looking down. And this is where Jesus and his disciples will, will end up being arrested or Jesus will be arrested. But this is the view that they had. But they had the temple there in, uh, during Jesus' day. And now it's occupied by a Muslim mosque. That's why the, the Jews who are dying to build a temple, they got this whole temple society. They're, they got the money. They got the, the architects. They got everything ready to roll. Even get Wi-Fi in there and all that stuff. It, they, I saw it. I saw the plans. They, they get, they're ready to go. They're just chomping at the bit. But they can't. God providentially has a Muslim mosque there. Otherwise, this temple would have been, been built years ago. Okay? And why is this such a special place for the Jews? Because the temple represented something very special to the Jews. And really to our heritage, too, as Christians, the temple had this room, this inner room called the Holy of Holies. All right, some of us have heard this. And this, in essence, where this is where God's presence was with the people of Israel. In the Exodus, they had a tent. And then when they got to their promised land, God gave them a temple. And they had this inner room called the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go in. And if he had any sin going on, they'd have to drag his dead body out of there because God's presence would not have allowed that to have been okay with him. This is, this is a sacred place. And this next picture is a picture of the Western Wall. And one side uh, to the left is where the men are, is divided, and to the right are where the women are. Okay, the, they give women a lot of smaller space right there. They give more space to the men, right? That's how it was. And why is this such a special place, the, the Western Wall? Why is this such a place? Sometimes you'll see this on the news. And why is this such a special place? They, the Jews are not able to go to the temp, on top of the Temple Mountain anymore. But they have the, the, in respect, they have the Muslims there. Okay. The Western Wall is very significant to the Jews because that's the closest in proximity they could get to the Holy of Holies. You hear what I'm saying? This is as close as you could get. And this is where people pray, pray fervently, pray. They, they may rock like I'm rocking with more intensity. They can just be still. They're just staring at the wall. They're getting as close to the wall as possible because they want to get as close to the presence of God as possible. This is, this is happening probably right now. In this next picture, you have um, men praying here, outside, intense praying, and there's, they feel like there's a connection to God, a closer connection to God. Because like I said, they're close, and they're, they're having some kind of sacred experience right here, perhaps. 
or I think they do. And then, and then this next picture, this is where I kind of got alarmed a little bit. So in, the, in this wall, there's these cracks. These are massive stones that make up the wall, and this crack, and then there's folded up pieces of paper in there. I don't know if you could see it, but hopefully it's big enough to see, but there's these pieces of paper in there, and what those pieces of paper were were prayer requests that people will write, fold it up, and jam it into the crack. And, I, and as, as the Jews were praying, I felt bad for them, you know, because like, man, they, they could know God through Christ. But just like the guy at the library, you know, some, many of them right now are just aren't able to understand who Christ is. But what alarmed me, what provoked me as a Christian, as a brother in Christ, is when I saw Christians writing their requests and throwing it up as if having the sacred experience at the Western Wall. And I thought to myself, hmm, did I not understand the scriptures correctly here? Why are they doing this? Maybe it's a novelty because they're in Israel. You know, when in Israel, you, you, know, you, you do what the Israelis do. Maybe that's what it was. But perhaps, is there something in the mind, in the heart of the Christian that says, this is an opportunity to get closer to God. This is an opportunity for God to hear my prayers more carefully because that's where the Holy of Holies is supposed to be or closest to it. That provoked me. I've got 1 Corinthians here, 1 Corinthians 3. I want us to understand this here. This is very important that we understand this as Christians. We need to know truth and how to operate in our Christian lives here. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Hold on now. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? There is no more physical temple. There is no more temple. God gave them one temple, a second temple. After Christ, the the Romans destroyed it. There is no, someday I believe there will be a third temple, but there is no temple right now. Right here says, do you not know that you are a temple of God? And this word temple is the word for sanctuary. In essence, the holy of holy of God, not just the temple grounds of God. Not like the outer courts, but the holy of holies were the sanctuary of God. Do you not know you are the sanctuary of God? And what? And that the Spirit of God, what does that say? Dwells in you. Wow. We are walking holy of holies right now. If you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have God himself making his presence in you. Every believer is a temple of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Not my words, the Bible. And collectively, like you gather a bunch of Christians and collectively we make the body of Christ or a huge temple. Collectively. And this is what I wanted to say about that. Let's treasure that. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit by jamming paper into a into between some stone thinking that we're going to be heard more. Can you think of any of those things that you do in your life right now? That you're jamming, you may not be in Israel, but you're jamming some kind of paper in between two stones to thinking like, okay, I'm closer to God now. Can you think of those things, Christian? Because I don't want you to grieve the Holy Spirit. We do not need a special location. 
We don't need a special cathedral. We don't need a special uh, candles like lit to make us feel close to God. We don't need to go through some prayer, take a, a prayer labyrinth to feel close to God. We don't need any of those things. And a lot of those things are pagan in nature. We have God living within us right now. And right now I'm preaching, but in my, in my spirit I'm praying that the spirit is actually preaching through me. I don't want to be the one preaching. We don't need all those things. And in ver- going back to John, finishing up here, brothers and sisters, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. We could have peace no matter what's going on. And here's a big piece of why we could have that heavenly or godly peace. Because God is with you and me. And we're connected to the Trinity. We're part of that love relationship. You have to feel it. you got to know that truth. The spirit of truth has to illuminate your mind and your heart so you have a, a profound appreciation for what that means. It's not about feelings. It's not about an experience. The spirit of truth is giving you the truth to the scriptures. You believe it. You ask God, help me to believe the spirit of truth. Illuminate my mind so I could believe this more, so that I could treasure your son more, so I could love him more, so I could obey him more purely. Otherwise, we'll be jamming pieces of paper between the rocks. You don't want that. You don't want to grieve the spirit. We're in direct connection with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you is in plural. We're in connection with one another. And that's where our profound love for, we, we could say all we want. Hey, love one another. Take care of each other. We could do that just to be good people. But really, when it's rooted in our deep, profound love for Christ and the Trinity, having that type of regard for that relationship that we're part of, how can we not have that same regard for someone who's going to spend eternity with us in that whole deal? That's where it is. And when we understand truth of what the scriptures say, who we are in Christ, and all the privileges and the blessings that come because we're in Christ, we're able to love one another more. We're educated. The spirit of truth tells us that's why we love our brotherhood and the sisterhood. That's why as I talked to the youth last week, this is the message. I hope you remembered as youth that what we talked about, you love one another because you're part of something greater than yourself. Let me just finish up here. Um, Verse 16, there's just too much. I, the Father, the Helper, and the Youth. All of us, all of us are in there in that one verse. Too much. Um, I wish I could teach it better. I wish I could understand it better. <laughs> Quite frankly, I, I get it. It's, 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 it's too much sometimes. The peace of God. You could have the peace of God, and you do not have to let your hearts be troubled because of that fact. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Disciples, you're following the right one. Jesus says, I'm God. Me and the Father are one. Today, we're saying, hey, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and not only that, you're going to be part of our special love relationship. That's why you could be at peace. That's why you don't have to be at terrazzo, no matter what's going on in your life right now. 
no matter what. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this profound truth of the Trinity. Lord, I pray somehow we, including myself, we will understand the value of this even more. Lord, perhaps this is the first time we, some of us have even heard of this concept that we're part of this incredible, eternal love relationship with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that that truth, the spirit of truth, illuminate our hearts and minds so that we would love your Son more. Jesus, you make this possible. Jesus, you pray to the Father to let this happen. Jesus, you're the one that died on the cross and rose again to allow and finance all this to happen. It's because of you, Jesus and the work of the Trinity that we are able to be part of this. So, Father, I pray we'll have a deeper, more profound appreciation for what it means to be a Christian so that we do not have to be troubled, so we could be at peace, not as the world gives it, but as you give it, Lord. And so, Father, I pray you would develop a greater, profound love for one another here at Evergreen SGV because we know what we're a part of. Wow, Lord, thank you for giving us a greater gratitude of being oneness with the Trinity. Although we're not gods and we don't want to be, we're just happy we get to be part of this love relationship. Oh, thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.